our planet's in need of CPR, basically. And so it's all hands on deck. Every profession, every discipline needs to contribute to sustainability. Welcome everybody to this week's show, which is the star is Mr. Benjamin Kay, AKA biological maniac, AKA best uh, marine biology, high school teacher, college teacher I've met. He's got a master's, uh, studied gobies on the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, I am so excited to have you here with my co-host and best friend, Ian Summerhalder. So we want to learn about what you do with the students and, and we want to really just give you a big uh, applause for the for the work that you do. So Ian, yes, we just do. jump right in here, man. We want to please. Well, let me start out by thanking you, uh, uh, Dr. Stone and, and Ian for all your work, too. It's great to be here. It's really great to have you here, man. Again, what we were just talking about, it's the future of the world, whether it be from consumer behavior to voter behavior to academic behavior, but real on the ground actionable behavior, actionable behavior is coming from youth. And you have focused on that and zeroed in on it and are doing it at such a level. This is about you. You have the floor. Wow. Well, uh, thank you again, Ian, for all your work. And I love what your foundation is doing. And um, I think it's, it's that time the scientists are screaming at the top of their lungs saying, you know, our, our, our planet's in the, you know, in the need of CPR, basically. And so it's all hands on deck. Every profession, every discipline needs to contribute to sustainability. And uh, since young people spend, you know, a very big chunk of their time in a classroom with, with mentors, um, it's critically important that teachers and schools and school districts start transforming students and, and teaching them how to think critically and also teaching them the elements of sustainability uh, mm -hmm. at large. But marine biology... Well said. Yeah, very well said. Marine biology in high schools is kind of new, isn't it? No, there have been... <laughs> I guess it depends where, uh, where you live. Um, they, marine biology is, is something that lots of schools locally around the Los Angeles County area and, and further south and further north have, have, have had, but it's usually an elective science. And so it's, it's, a, it's a great... Uh, it's a great subject to launch all these different environmental investigations and, and fuge, infuse uh, project-based learning, service learning strategies, um, especially with the close proximity that we have at Santa Monica High School uh, to the ocean. It's, it, would, it wouldn't be just if we didn't have a marine biology program because the school and the yeah. ocean are, are so close to one yeah, it's another. Gonna, it's gonna, I'm going to tip my cards on my age here now, but when I went to college, they, did, they didn't even have marine biology textbooks yet. Really? Yeah. Marine well, biology. I guess there wasn't. No, it's a, it's a very recent science. It, wow. did, it really didn't get going until like the 1960s is when marine wow. science kind of kicked in. And my marine biology introductory class in college was uh, a bunch of re scientific reprints that our, that our professors stapled together. And we would read wow. science papers and, and talk about it. There, there, were, there was no textbook on marine biology when I went to college in the late 70s. Uh, wow. So for me to hear, to, to, and I came and spoke to your class last week. That's why you're on the show now, because I was so... Actually, what happened is at the end of the, the class, Ian, I said to the, all the students, I said, listen, I got this podcast. Who should I have on? Give me some suggestions. I wanted to know. And they all said... Mr. K, Mr. K, which is what they call <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, so here he is. 
And uh, do you teach anything else besides marine biology? Yeah, I teach biology, environmental science, and um, I like to think that all of my classes have a kind of a sustainability theme. I'm very fortunate also to teach at Santa Monica College at nighttime. Yep. Um, so I get, I get a mix of all ages, and it, it's great to be with uh, mm -hmm. you know, the young kids at the high school and the older kids at uh, the college level. You got well, you get to also, he gets to see where, where they're going yeah, yeah. and where they're coming from. So mm -hmm. you have both sides of the, the spectrum. Actually, you have both sides of the rainbow, because hopefully below both of them, there's pots of gold. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, but talking about uh, marine biology as a new science, um, uh, I guess uh, comparing our ages, we, yeah, it's a, a relative thing. I, I was very fortunate to have a, a mentor in high school, a marine biology teacher, uh, Ray Millette, who inspired me so much and got us out testing water quality and, and taking samples of things, um, going to the Biona wetlands and, and uh, taking a look at invasive species and, and degraded ecosystems. And, and that, uh, his class was a, was a, was switched, switched me on to marine biology. And um, I took his class, even though it catered to a ninth graders, I was a senior at the time. And I took his class for fun because I, I had already been surfing and fishing uh, locally, uh, grew up in Los Angeles. And so I was already intrigued with the ocean. And then he just connected the dots with some of the scientific principles and, and the environmental service learning elements. And then I, I was just, I was off. Uh, I was inspired. I went uh, to get my degree at UC Santa Barbara in aquatic biology. Hmm. And then I went on to study in Australia for, for four years for my master's. Gobies, right? Wow. Uh, Gobies. But yep. while I was there, it was interesting because I was at UNESCO. I, was, I happened to be on Heron Island, Great Barrier Reef, and UNESCO was happening. And I walked into a room, and all the scientists, very prestigious scientists to this day, were all around um, uh, a projector on the, you know, a, a screen, a PowerPoint presentation was being shown on how coral reefs are predicted to all be bleaching and, and disappearing in the next 50 years. And this was back in 2000, uh, 2000 2001. And so that was a, a big aha moment mm -hmm. where I, I started connecting, okay, science, there's, there's components of that, you know, we, we have vast degradation of coral reefs happening. And, and then slowly over the last couple decades, I've, I've kind of seen uh, just the perfect storm of all these global issues and local issues kind of interacting. So we've got... Coming together in a really profoundly gnarly way. Yeah, dire, very, very gloomy forecasts uh, again. And then, you know, to see the scientists, um, you know, uh, coming and, and reaching these consensus, right, that they do, and they say, hey, we need to, you know, respond to the science in this way, and then to see their science systematically ignored has been really hard for me to stomach. And, I've been them too. Yeah, I've, I've I've been very pleased though that scientists, instead of just being objective reporters nowadays, a lot of them are are taking it upon themselves to communicate their data um, with with you know people and and the media, and it's it's unfortunate you know media has their interplay with what the science says, but I'm really happy that uh, there are scientists who are just you know l let's let's cut to the chase let's. Uh, here, here's the scientific report. This is what it says. Politicians, I hope you go make the right decisions. Here, media, here's a copy. I hope you, you know, um, represent this well. Uh, and I'm now going to go on YouTube and tell everyone exactly what it means. So 
this is kind of like the age of the new scientist, I think. And, right. and Greg, you've, you've done a, a tremendous job uh, doing some of that work, too, with your books and papers. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it has been, there's been a turning point in the last 10 years. You know, and I'm on the board of the Woods Hole Oceanographic in Institution. And Which is an amazing Yeah, It's an amazing organization. organization. It's famously where my famous, my favorite character, Matt Hooper, in Jaws. Hooper! Hooper! <laughs> More to port, Hooper! <laughs> um, went. I mean, he came from in, the, in that storyline. But, you know, I've seen that institution just pivot. And they've asked me for actually help in pivoting to make their work applicable to decision makers because they were, they were, it was anathema, to, it's been anathema to scientists to have a position, to have an opinion about how their science should be used because there's this old idea that it'll contaminate the purity of the science. Well, listen, listen everybody, it is too late. There's too much going on right now. We don't have that luxury anymore. Scientists need to get out in front of their science and tell the story the way it is and begin to direct you know, where, where we're going to go. And with your students, you said sustainability, and I, I know you do project, you, don't you engage your students, like make them go out into the real world as part of their studies? And, and tell me about that. Engaging students is, is something that I've, I've been trying to refine over the years and, and, and master, and I'm still not there yet, but I, I've, I've got a lot of elements down, and, and, it, and it kind of, I draw upon some old quotes of one, I think it was uh, Jacques Cousteau who said, you know, we only protect um, what, we, what, love. what we love. And then his son, Jean-Michel Cousteau. And we only love what we understand. Um, and then, yes, exactly. And, right. and then Jean-Michel Cousteau came along and, we and only says, understand well, what we see you know, Papa together. Smurf, uh, <laughs> well, we, we actually, we, we, we protect what we understand. And so, uh, that, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm trying to reconnect students with nature by sending them out on, on field trips, um, you know, going camping, going to the beach, seeing nature, experiencing, uh, doing the science projects in nature, sending them out into the community to connect to community, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and also bring in, um, bring in experts into the classroom. Can you give us an actually, example, like one of your pro student projects? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've done, <laughs> we've done numerous projects over the years, um, one that really stands out, though, is, is um, we, we became very passionate right when I started my career um, about single-use plastics. And uh, particularly in Santa Monica, the city had already kind of addressed uh, expanded polystyrene, a.k.a. styrofoam, uh, but uh, plastic bags were still a, a blight uh, across streets and freeways and on the beach and, and even in the water. I was fishing and catching plastic bags. And so our, our city was, was starting to think about things, but there wasn't, uh, there, there wasn't really any um, profound, like, okay, wave of change that was crashing and, and pushing, them f you know, pushing the city council to do something. Um, so the students came along, and, and uh, they started investigating the, the issue scientifically, which I always encourage my students to do. Mm -hmm. um, let's try to understand the problem or understand the best solution to the problem using science. Let's investigate it scientifically and then let's, you know, do science-informed, um, you know, healing of, of sorts. And so... Um, oh, I like that, healing. Yeah. Healing. Yeah. And so we, we, we started, um, you know, investigating, you know, the number of plastic bags and various pollutants on our local beach and that uh, showed us, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. The plastic bags are everywhere. And so the students said, okay, well, let's 
let's let's do something. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? They're like, let's march. I was like, whoa, that sounds like a pretty pretty bold idea. Mm -hmm. And here I was in my early career, not worried about anything, or you know, I was I was in the the honeymoon um, period with with my administration and and in the community, and so I, I really had free reign to do all kinds of things. And uh, now I have to be a bit more cautious because you know there's there's a lot of liability issues. Right. But um, we started marching, and there you know there was one march turned into six you marches, mean like advocacy marches. Advocacy marches, and the uh, students posters, yeah, huge and huge signs, and yeah, and signs. all of a sudden my students are are filming it, and T Nickelodeon is out there, and oh, the awesome. news and everything, and and it, and it turned into uh, students uh, donning costumes in in city city hall in front of the city council and saying, you know, I, we, we need to get rid of these, you know, plastic bags and here's our data on, on what we found. Amazing. And, um, and so it, it took longer than we thought because the plastics industry, um, and reps of the plastic industry, the, uh, the American chemistry council, they, they came in and, uh, there was a, or no, save the plastic bag coalition. There we go. Save the plastic bag coalition came in and, and threatened a lawsuit against our city. Um, if we were to move forward with, with a ban, so we had to do an environmental impact report. And, and so that was really, you know, it, it took some time, but the students stayed with it. They kept advocating. And to this day, city council members still come up to me and say, Ben, you know why we have, this, you know why we have a, a ban on single-use plastic bags? And we ended up being, I think, the eighth uh, municipality in California to do it. It's because your students, you know, came and, and, and really made made it known what they wanted. Well, and thank you. They Congratulations. Were, they, Thanks for giving yeah. them the ability to do that. I'm, I'm a facilitator and, and uh, you know, and I, I, I keep them, uh, I try to define a, a bar, a standard of, of excellence for them and, and hold them to that. But they really, at the end of the day, are the agents of change. You know, I, I, I can get up and speak in front of city council and, you know, they, they just nod, okay. But as soon as the youth get up there and yeah. they say, hey, here's our science, here are our data sets, you know, you know, this, this well, is, as an this educator, you're effectively, you are a facilitator. You're a facilitator of the exchange of information and science to a, an open sponge-like brain that either has the ability to act upon it or to be, sorry, to be inspired by it and then act upon it. But then you facilitate their need and desire to do that. You give them the tools. So... That I think for any teacher, for for me, why I was so excited about how about this episode was yeah. for teachers out there. What you think about so LA Unified School District, right? Is something like like thirty thousand teachers or something? It's huge. I remember when we were doing a big thing with Thrive Market, we were giving memberships to Thrive to LA Unified. Um, something teachers. like over a thousand schools. It's it's big. It's hmm. big. Yeah. Now. Think about, that's just in this area. Right. So imagine the amount of educators across the country who, for lack of better terms, have just been pounding the pavement and sort of beating their heads against the wall trying to communicate this to their students and inspire them, right? Because with youth, it's about, like what we talked about before in, in our episode together, which is when you talk to someone who's young and you ask them, what is it that makes you tick? What is it that makes the sun come up and go down yeah. twice before you ever even knew time was a lap, that it elapsed? And when you find that thing, right? It's the why, right? It's the, it's the why and then the how. 
Yeah. And one thing that I forgot to mention, which I'm glad we're doing it on this one. Yeah. All any of us want, whether you're a scientist, an educator, an entertainer, filmmakers, whatever it is, all we want in life is to find purpose. Right. But purpose. It's is, absolutely right. Yeah. Is, but think about it, though. Purpose is an incredibly elusive thing. What is the equation to find purpose? Everyone wants purpose in our lives. I've found, and what I think the equation for purpose is, is when you marry skill with passion. Hmm. So if you're passionate about something and you develop a skill set hmm. for it, you've ultimately found your purpose. Now, there may be multifaceted hmm. levels of that throughout your life. It's, Ian, it's porpoise. Porpoise, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Duh. Um, but you know what I mean? Finding, allowing, helping young people or adults find purpose is, I think, single-handedly one of the greatest gifts you can give to society. Well and said. Well, I, thank I, you. Well, thank you. And, and um, I, to piggyback on that idea, I think that a lot of uh, layman people and, and students, um, they've been brought up in a way their parents may you know, shelter them in certain ways from some of the bad things going on in the world. Mm -hmm. and, I think by the time they get to middle school and high school, uh, it's time for, for teachers um, and, and the district message to be, um, hey, uh, we've, we've got a lot of challenges before us and, and we need to uh, start instilling uh, the, the conservation ethic in young people and literally teach them about what's going on, right? Right. Because most of them don't know there's deforestation, desertification, climate change, ocean acidification, ocean dead zones, climate change, uh, overfishing, shark finning, and all these things going on and, and, and interacting. And, and then, of course, there's the political, the socio-political economic factors associated with that. And it's just, it you know, to... It's a complex thing, but they need to understand what's happening because mm -hmm. we can't fix what we don't understand, right? right. And so um, my hope is that educators will step up. I'm hoping uh, to get educators um, freed to, to teach about what's going on and also, also put a big spotlight, at least 50% or more of the spotlight on the solutions to mm -hmm. these things. We need the school or district. 75%, which is what we were yeah. talking about. What you said earlier, it can't all be doom and gloom. This is about right. hope, right? This is about, this is about hope. Even this, inter, you know, even this segment is about hope. Absolutely. And, but I have one, one bone to pick with hope. And, and yeah. I, I, hope is, hope is, I, I want us to be optimistic and I don't want people to say it's, it's all over and, and the world's going kaput and we've run out of time and, and, and go out to the nearest bar and well, we're teetering enjoy on your the, last, uh, we're teetering on the brink of that, but hurrah. we need to inspire in, uh, action because of that. Yes. But <laughs> I, I, I often tell my students, uh, hope is meaningless. Action is everything at this point. Yes. And I, I think that that's really the key. And, yeah. and so districts, it's not inspire hope or to give hope. It's to inspire action. Well, it's, and it's I to, think that that's, that's, that's a much better way of putting it. And it's to take this seriously and realize how deep down this hole we are. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, okay, banning plastic bags is a, plastic bags happen to be, I think, 30 or 40% of the plastic that's in the ocean. It's quite a large percentage. So it's great wow. to get that taken care of, but we've got to keep going, man. We've got to, we've got to, cut down on the carbon emissions. We've got to make sure that the seafood that we 
that we eat is correct. We've got to make sure the next coastal development that goes hotel is done the right way, all that stuff. I right. want people not to stop at the plastic bag. They've well, got you, to... you reminded me of another one of our projects that we yeah, did, which was um, um, I, in, in 2009, I get a phone call and they said, Mr. K, um, we have a, a, a child who goes to Santa Monica High School and we, we heard that you're crazy. You were building some sort of solar boats or something last year. I'm like, oh, well, thank you for the compliment. And <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was uh, very, very nice. They're like, I, we want to give you a, a, a 1971 red uh, convertible VW um, Super Beetle. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, there's one condition. You've got to turn that with your students. You guys got to do some, like, turn it into a green car. I was like, okay. So we get this car. We receive <laughs> this great. beautiful red car, which we would later uh, name Volts Watson uh, and uh, VW. And um, awesome. over four years, we got funding. We got uh, the technological know-how from, from experts. And um, one of my students in particular was really savvy, only talked in ohms, watts, and amps, and got this, uh, this car to run. Uh, on freeway-worthy, 100-mile range car, all-electric plug-in um, wow. that ended up being in shows and, and on television and, and newspapers all across the U.S. And that was like a turning point because we were, That's you know, cool. plastics are one my thing. Hero. Yeah, yeah he's my hero. Too. Well, no, no, no. no. Yeah, <laughs> That's cool. Easy. We're gonna have a, a, a hero cut to cut to cut to. So they they killed so the electric car. Take five. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you you transformed this car. And well, I, I, the didn't, I didn't. I actually. Yeah. yeah, the students. You gave did. them the opportunity. I I had no idea. I've, I've never taught physics or anything like that before. I had no idea what I was doing. But you know, I, I learned that I could help in in the. I don't know. You call it a producer, a, a production. Helping connect dots. Facilitator. Hey, yeah. So, I got a question for you. Yeah. You know, the, you know, everybody always, one of the perennial questions is, you know, what is art? You know, and everybody's got a different interpretation. What is science? Give me a definition of science. Because you teach science. And we hear it all the time now that science is king. And, you know, we got to pay attention to it. And what, what it, how, for our listeners and even for me, I'm just curious, how do you define science? Well, I usually define the scientific method um, for my students, which is um, it's a way of studying phenomenon that occur in our world. And um, it's a system of thinking. And it's a system of protocols that we use uh, to address our questions. And it used to be that scientists would be studying the natural environment and counting hairs on the back of some worms rear end um, and really you know trying to understand ecosystems and how they work and I've, I've now turned science uh, not just in t into a, 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 a way to study nature but also a way to understand the anthropogenic impact uh, and also using science to mm -hmm. uh, understand the best solutions to our ecological footprints. So that's my definition of science. It's a good one. You know, one, one that I'll share with you that I usually I'll give to people is I, I say it's a system of rules that keeps us from lying to each other. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, and it's a storytelling, really. <clears throat> a lot of young students and people come to me and say, "Oh, geez, I wish I could get a master's degree or a PhD, but it looks like so much work. I'm not smart enough." All this kind of stuff. I'm going, listen. All you're doing is telling a story, 
and you're telling it with a set of rules to make sure that the story you tell is hmm. truthful. And it's oh. self-correcting in that sense. What do you mean by that? Well, if, if you do a study and you come out with a published result, um, I've taught my students that they, they shouldn't just accept that. Scientists check each other. Right. And it's, in, it's, it's that rule. It keeps us honest, like you were saying. So yeah. if someone's come out with something and they say something, uh, climate change doesn't exist, well, it's, it's upon scientists to, to check each other. Right. And we keep each other in check until we arrive at consensus. And, and once a consensus is reached, well, then uh, that, that hypothesis now turns uh, into a theory. And a theory, a lot of people think they, they don't understand really what theories are, but theories are, there's, they're, you know, gravity is a theory. And we, we all trust that when we drop something, it's going to go down. And, yeah. and unless you're maybe out of your mind, maybe it, it will go down, but maybe some people see it go up. But right. it's a way of, of understanding our world and, and also keeping it honest. I like, I like that. Yeah, that's a really unique system of rules that, it's a system of rules that keeps us from lying to each other. And, yeah, that's amazing. And in this day and age, you know, we have, um, we have a lot of science. There's been a system of rules applied to telling a story about what's happening to our planet. And let's talk about that atmosphere for one thing. On the one hand, I can't believe that there's anybody that doubts the fact that we've sent all the CO2 into the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels and it's heating the planet up. It's all bullshit, Greg. It's, uh, <laughs> it's science such a, is not it's, uh, finalized it's, on that. It's, it's a theory. A, it's, such a clear, it's such a clear story. But on the other <laughs> hand, to me, it's like a triumph of science because it's an odorless, colorless gas that is around us all the time and the preponderance of people and leaders and everybody does agree and understand it. So that on the, on the one hand, it's crazy that people don't get it. But on the other hand, I mean, it, it's, it's a pinnacle of science because it's a hard thing. To, you can't see it. You can't yeah, smell it. Either. You can't see it. But it's all carbon dioxide, which is the primary greenhouse gas. Of course, we know there's methane. And, Methane's and, even scarier because it's, uh, what is it? It's, it's How many times? 20 or 40 times, times more. What you, yeah. It's, probably, it's uh, 23 times 23, yeah. uh, more potent in the first uh, 20 years, I think. And then by the time you get up to uh, 100 years, um, it becomes uh, 83 times more, more potent. potent. Um, so it's, it's uh, there's lots of different things on the internet about that. Um, or sorry, I may have it reversed. I think it might be uh, eighty some odd times yeah. more potent in the first in the twenty first years. years. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, water water vapor is a greenhouse gas. You know, it is. Uh, actually, it has a short life, but it's a greenhouse gas. And uh, one thing I I've begun to redefine what the ocean is, and I tried it out with your when I spoke to your class a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it's stuck or not, mm -hmm. Ian, but I look at the ocean as being the whole hydrological cycle. We tend to think of the ocean just when it's in the ocean basins, and I call that's the salty part. Right. But the ocean then evaporates up into the clouds, and every 33,000 years, the, the approximately the whole volume of the ocean evaporates up into clouds, goes over, falls down on rain, comes down through the streams and the mountains, and then goes back to the salty part. But the ocean is the whole system. And like today, it's raining outside. So I like to say, today the ocean's coming down as rain. Did that stick at all, or was there any discussion about that afterwards? Or Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And it, it reminded me when you were going through that the other day in the class uh, about 
how uh, there are uh, solutions um, to, to urban runoff and, and other types of runoff um, by cutting the water cycle in half and doing what countries like Singapore are doing, which is uh, using recycled water. Um, when you, you know, flush the toilet, it, it can actually be made incredibly pure. Um, and you know, we, can, we can use that water directly uh, and we're going to need to also start thinking about freshwater itself because our freshwater supply is, um, with climate change is, is dwindling, as you, as you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, all, it's all connected, as are all the other, you know, the nitrogen, the carbon cycle. All of these things are cycling. And, and um, again, I think, I think it, when more people understand that, especially young people, and they, you know, and they, they realize it's, it's a reasonably simple thing. I mean, we've got carbon going up. Um, so what do we need to do? Well, we need to uh, put a cap on that carbon. We need to reduce it. And, right. and uh, if we can do that, then we can actually uh, mitigate this problem and its worst effects, keep the, the, the warming uh, below 1.5 degrees Celsius. And if we can do that, we may avoid the worst effects of climate change. What's, the most pro what's one of the most profound, happiest, satisfying moments you've had in your teaching career? If you could... Um, there have been many. Pick one, pick been, one or two, just quickly. Many. I'm just curious. Um, but uh, a couple years ago, um, I was uh, I was I was so jazzed because you know what? Yeah. Don't kill. I I'm gonna have to see this in the edit. Yeah. I have a I have a flood issue at my house. Okay. Um, my wife and I live up in Malibu. Sure, and, sure. Um, our generators are down and our power's not working. So the pumps Go. that I have, um, because all my drains are backed up outside. Should you got to get talking? back to No, you have to. Okay. So grateful for you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, thank Thanks you. for Why all don't we just This isn't the last. Thank and by the hey, way, thank you, climate change means more unpredictable weather like thank we're having guys. today. Okay, and take care, brother. Love you. Go ahead. Yeah, so just curious. As a teacher, which I think is one of the most important roles in society, we don't celebrate it enough. What, what's it like for you? What's it like inside? Tell me, give me some high points. I also want to hear about some low points. Just in sure. Um, well, th there have been a lot of high points, um, and fortunately, uh, I've had probably more high points than low points in my career. But there was a, a time a couple years ago um, when I had, instead of just having my team marine group uh, do the, the the real uh, the real science, you know, the real nitty-gritty science to, to get the data to affect positive change at, you know, from the grassroots uh, up or the, the top down. We, I, I got all of my students doing sustainability projects that lasted uh, over a semester. And so these were long-term projects where students had to select a, an issue that they were interested in that related to sustainability investigate uh, the issue using science, uh, collect data, and then somehow uh, learn from their data, leverage their data uh, to affect positive changes in their school or greater community. And so um, after they, the, the culmination of this project was really the high for me because um, I told the students that, hey, there is a board of education meeting coming up and we have an opportunity to go and tell the board of education um, for the city of Santa Monica, we need change. We need our school uh, to be propagating environmentally literate kids once they graduate, and that should be part of our mission statement. And I told the students this, and, and after spending you know, six, seven months studying their issues, 
they were all on board. They got it. They actually, you know, more than just showing a film about the environment, more than, you know, me going on one of my environmental rants, um, which I've been known to do, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and uh, crying because of the war on science on the front page of National Geographic, um, the students were actually seeing that they could actually be part of the solution, a viable part of the solution. And they said, okay, let's take our science to the advocacy level. And uh, we had 120 students and parents collectively show up to a board of education meeting because sustainability was one of the topics on the agenda. And we had, of those 120, 70 students and, and uh, community members, stakeholders from the community, got up to express what they wanted to see happen within our school district. And um, when we got there, we, we had a plan. Uh, which was, okay, what do we really need? How do we, if we have 18 schools in our school district, we're not, a, we're not as large as LAUSD, but how do we get our school district to really, um, really do something meaningful that's going to be long lasting and, and not just lift, lip service to you know, sustainability and, and getting it out. And um, so we wanted, we said, hey, we have some common asks. We would like sustainability to be put in the mission statement of our school district so that every child who graduates and moves on from our school district has that conservation ethic and, and wants to be a steward um, and, and solve these crises that we see before us. And then two, um, we need a sustainability committee formed by all stakeholders, uh, including teachers, principals, superintendents, you name it. Let's, let's get a committee together that will look at the low-lying fruit and the high-lying fruit and, and create a plan, set goals, and hold ourselves accountable to. Um, and then three, we need a sustainability director for our school district. And, and that director would actually have some power um, to uh, work with uh, the committee, uh, work in, in helping uh, get uh, you know, the, the education services on board with, with getting curricula out that teachers could use to replace those old units with something fresh uh, that relates to the current situations going on on our planet. And so that's it, the sustainability, you know, we, we, have the, we have the mission statement change, we've, we've got the committee, and now we have someone in, inside the, the school district that's really helping coordinate all of these efforts. Do you, do you ever and, get any pushback from like parents or anybody that you're, <laughs> that you're like, hey, you're taking my yeah. kid into an area that isn't doesn't agree with my political precepts you know i i often uh have have told people that i'm, I'm very fortunate to to live in santa monica and teach uh, at two santa monica schools samuel high and smc yeah. um and that i i probably would have been fired um in several other districts <laughs> that's what um, i was thinking <laughs> um because I'm, I'm i'm trying to show the truth greg yeah and, and I'm trying to get students to realize that we, we don't have a lot of time left. And um, sometimes, um, you know, I, I think there have been a, f a few parents, uh, one in particular, who was um, very, very nasty and, and came to me and said, you know, you're, you're trying to indoctrinate our kids. And, and then, you know, uh, they, they actually uh, lodged a, a formal complaint about me. And, and the principal calls me and says, Ben, there's been a complaint. And I'm like, oh, no. And um, you know, they, they were asking, the principal at the time said, uh, um, we, we want to make sure that you're teaching climate change in a neutral way. And I said, 
Okay, how do you mean? Who said that? The teacher or the... No, this was my principal. The principal, okay, um, yeah, yeah. We, we want you to teach climate change in a neutral way. I'm like... What does that mean? A, a neutral way. I'm, the consensus about climate change is, has, has been out for a while. It's in my textbook. It's right here, and it talks about it and what we need to do and solutions. And um, I'm, I'm teaching science. Uh, and I, I, I felt at the time that that, that person really didn't understand... Um, how dire the situation is and that there is a consensus out and that it's, it's, it, there's irrefutable evidence that climate change not only is happening, but humans are the, the biggest cause that's yeah. contributing to it. And so I, I had to kind of explain myself to the principal, but I was supported. And I was very fortunate to be supported. Um, and, uh, but yeah, there, there was this one yeah, very to, conservative person. To that point, this is where media and society errs at times on this issue yeah. is they think that they want to be fair which means represent all sides of the issue but they think sometimes that like the consensus around climate change that it's a caused by us and that it's a dire forecast is you know 99 point something percent of all scientists believe this to be the case there's that little teeny fraction that say no. Well, sometimes it's interpreted that means that, well, you need to give equal treatment to that little, little well, tiny news, percentage. Well, they see uh, Bill Nye the science guy and, yeah. and it's uh, like, some other it's like dude. It's like if you have a page in the <laughs> yeah. New York Times on you know, science caused by people, there are those that say you need to have another page over here to represent that tiny fraction which disagrees with it. Well, when and, the media poses it as, yeah. a, as a debatable issue, yeah. Uh, and represents it as such, then people think that the science isn't settled. And that's been doing a lot of harm um, when, when you do have some media groups. You know, that, I saw a great poster. It yeah. had a, somebody said it was like, I hear there's a debate around climate change. I don't recall there being a debate around E equals MC squared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, it's too bad that um, the scientific method has been questioned and, and that um, you know, there are not enough people who are, are really plugged into what the scientific community uh, is collectively saying. And that, that to me, is it, it's now all hands on deck. Let's get a megaphone to the science. Yeah. And, and let's also uh, remind scientists uh, that they need to be part of the solution and, and be better communicators, right, with, with the general public. And, um, and teachers, I, I, I think, you know, if... I get it, you know, all of us can have faith-based beliefs, teachers included, but we also need to pay homage to what the science says. It's, it's empirical data, it's, it's not something, it's like, hey, that, you know, that couch over there is green. Uh, no, it's, um, it's not yellow, it is green, and, and that's just a fact. Uh, and I like to tell what was it, John Oliver who said, it's like debating climate change is like, uh, debating whether hats exist or um, <laughs> if there are numbers uh, that we count. And, you know, it's just, it, it, it gets to the point, it's, it's very aggravating, but at the same time, when you show students, yeah. and this, what I think is, this is what wakes me up. This is my porpoise, right? Um, <laughs> is is um, I, I want to show students what's happening, show them the truth. I want to show them that there is a war on science. I want to show them how the politics and the special interest groups have, have, have cast doubt and, yeah. uh, on that science and, and have, and have yeah. you the know. Only, yeah. The only 
I don't know how to describe it. The only, I was going to say crack in the door or the window. The only, the only thing that you can say is that in the past, and this is an argument that comes up, there has been intense periods of volcanism on the planet, which has emitted, you know, high, high levels of CO2 into the atmosphere mm. and caused, you know, climate to change rapidly. And that's true. And, but that doesn't mean that what we're doing isn't true. But you'll often hear that argument put forward mm. that, you know, well, volcanism could do this. And well, that's well, true. volcanism, as you know, can also cool the planet. And, and usually right. after major volcanic eruptions, we've, we've seen some, some global cooling um, because of the, the aerosols and right. the sulfur particles and the ash reflecting some of the, the UV radiation back to space. But I'm, you know, uh, there is, there's a, one of the websites that I tell my students about is, is skepticalscience.com. Yeah. And um, I have my students, you know, vet various references on all of these things and, and, and then try to arrive at sensible conclusions about, well, do you, do you think the climate is changing? Is the ocean acidifying? Is... Are we overfishing and, and, and explore these topics a little bit, trying to also tell them as you know, little about what I know. And I think when they arrive at it organically, that can, that can be helpful. Um, but it's a time of, of great worry, Greg. Yeah, and, and no, I've, <laughs> I, I've been waiting for this my whole career for the, for the world to, to come to this place. And, and I'm inspired that, you know, we see this in the, in the Santa Monica High School, see it in, in you. You are my hero. You're one of my Boy, heroes Well, you're now. one of my well, heroes, that's, man. That's so. kind of you to say, but, but I'm serious. You're, you're touching so many lives. And, you know, this, is, this podcast is also co-sponsored uh, by the Aquarium of the Pacific. Oh. So uh, we, you know, that's another web of public education that's uh, part of what needs to be done Funny, in our I'm world. I've taken my students to the Aquarium of the Pacific every year since I've been a teacher. Oh, you have? Okay. So mine, except for last year, yeah. in all honesty. All right. yeah. Well, they're, they're part of this. In fact, the camera crew that we're with today works for the Aquarium of the Pacific. Um, and I kind of want to bring us back to port now. We've, we've sure. gone uh, with Ian. We, we, we cast the lines. We headed out in some really interesting waters. But as we come back, uh, what's your favorite marine animal? And you can't say gobies because I know you studied those for your master's <sighs> degree, but... Uh, just anything else, because everybody has to say the one the thing that they studied in their graduate work was their favorite. But what else? Tell me, just oh. throw out another animal or genre or something. Well, I, I did study fish. I'm an ichthyologist. Okay. Uh, some people uh, say an ichthyophile. Yeah. And I, so I, I love fish, and um, I've been mesmerized by so many different species, um, but. I think one that is one that I bump into a lot when I'm going surfing or, or when I'm uh, in the water uh, swimming around is, is an elusive one. It's called a corbina, hmm. and these these, these corbina are they they're one of our local species, and um, they can be seen sometimes um, flopping on the shore uh, because sometimes they forget to uh, retreat with receding tide uh, or the retreating wave, and um, they can be, you know, five pounds, and, and as a as an angler, I enjoy catching them on very light tackle okay. using sand crabs. And so, when I was growing up, um, my aquatic playground was uh, Will Rogers State Beach, and I would I would go down there. Um, someone showed me, you know, you know, four or six pound test, you know, an eighteen inch leader, little hook, and you and you mostly catch perch, right? Uh, Bards surf perch, they're called. 
Um, but when you hook into a corbina on okay. a light kind of trout fishing pole, it's like catching a tuna you know, oh, out there a on, a, on a boat. And, All right. and well, so we'll, you, we'll make sure that we're going to put a link into information about yeah. corbina on this on the website <laughs> for your episode. And, and yeah, uh, we were fishing for corbina and, and perch. And then one day, um, my buddy, we were like 15, 16 years old. My buddy um, hooked into a uh, uh, something we didn't know it was, and we got it up to the surface after like a 20-minute battle, and it was a, a, a white sea bass. But at the time, we thought it was a world-record corbina because they, <laughs> they looked kind of similar. And um, the, the fish was so big, and we were fishing with such light line that we couldn't just pull the fish in. And so with all my clothes on, my boots and everything, and, and don't do this if you're watching this out there, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but I jumped in. And with this big net yeah. into the water with all my clothes on, Jack got saturated, got submerged underwater. And then I, I, the, the wave just kind of spits me up onto the shore. And I have this huge fish that's out of the net. I'm all drenched. You know, the waves are crashing on us. And um, my best friend was very happy with me. Okay. Well, that's, that's a great story. That and, and, <laughs> and I learned something today about Corbina. Yeah. I never knew about that. So will you come back? on the show again sometime i'd like to love to have you as a regular maybe I'd, maybe bring some of your students next time too i'd be delighted to, right. to, to come back thank right. you for having me all right thanks for the time all right and all thank right. you for all you do for conservation oh. and protection of our our ocean oh. habitats I'm expecting your students to pick organisms. up you and your students to pick up the the, the storyline from here so uh thank you listeners and we'll see you on the next episode don't just save the, the planet for the halibut <laughs> And have a porpoise in have life. Have a porpoise in a life. A porpoise in life, yes. yeah. Do it for sharks. All right. <laughs>